0: to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. May he who began this amazing work in you bring it through until completion. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit today and always, so be it, amen. Good morning, church family. There once was a man who had a, well, a rather impressive religious resume. Let me tell you about it. This man had um, grandparents on both sides who were devoted followers of Jesus. On his father's side, his grandfather was a leader in the church. Uh On his his mother's side, his grandparents were lifelong missionaries to China. In fact, his mother was born in China. Godly grandparents. His father um, met his mother and the two of them were uh, dedicated followers of Jesus and uh, spent uh, 10 years as missionaries to Angola, missionaries to Africa. So let me ask you, um, do any of you have two generations of missionaries in your family? Anybody just raise your hand? Well, you can see it's a fairly impressive religious resume, wouldn't you say? Um, Not only that, but this man, uh, when his parents raised him in the church, catch this, in terms of his religious resume, I mean, he had an impressive family pedigree. But he was raised in a family that went to church Three times a week, twice on Sundays, once midweek. Any of you raised in a church family that, that maybe went to church like three times a week? Raise your hand. Oh, there are a few, okay? So you, you kind of have a little bit of a religious resume there too, okay? So three times a week, but, you know, that's all family stuff, right? I mean, the parents made the decisions for all of those things. But then when this man reached his young adulthood, he started making his own decisions, He too um, stacked up a fairly impressive religious resume. I mean, as a young adult, he was a deacon in his church. He uh, led Bible studies for young adults in his church. He led the youth group in his church. He led Bible studies at the college he attended as a young adult. In fact, he started, he started a chaplain meeting for the football team at the college he attended. I mean, he did a lot of stuff for the Lord. A few years later than that, um, he sensed the tug of the Holy Spirit on his life and he actually left his hometown and uh, traveled to a different city, left his church, left his family, left his job and catch this, for four years devoted himself to preparing to serve God. Studied Hebrew, studied Greek, studied theology. How many of you, raise your hand, have spent four years preparing to serve God in an area of your life. Anybody? Oh, there is a hand or two, that's good. Well, a few years later after that, um, guess what this guy I'm telling you about with the religious resume, guess what he's been doing the last few years? Last 13 years, pastoring at New Hope Kailua. (laughs) You probably, you might have figured it out, but I'm talking about me, I'm talking about my own religious resume, and you might say that's fairly impressive. Fairly impressive, in fact, In all humility, can I just say, more better than a lot of you. (laughs) Not as good as maybe some of you. But here's what I've learned about my own personal religious resume. In terms of my relationship with God, in terms of being acceptable to God, in terms of having a right relationship with God, and and knowing that when I pass from this life that, that I pass into the presence of God in heaven, my religious resume, catch this, this may shock you a little bit. It's worthless. It's of no value. In fact, and this may offend you, it's a pile of manure. It's a pile of poop. It's a pile. I learned a new Hawaiian word this year. And I hope I pronounce Kuhai. Kuhai. Some of you know, know that word. If you know one Hawaiian word, it should not be that word. But it's a word that speaks of excrement, of dung, of manure. And if you find that offensive, I'm just telling you what the Bible tells me. Do you know that word's right there in the Bible? And um, so if there's no hope for my religious resume, and yours may be better, yours may be more impressive or not, but if there's no hope for us with a religious resume being made right with God, being acceptable to heaven, belonging to God, because of our religious... I mean, how, where is there hope? Well, I, the great news of Philippians chapter 3 this morning is there is a wonderful hope for all of us, whatever your religious resume is. But it's not based on your resume. There's a reason to rejoice in Philippians chapter 3 When you know the right way in which you have a relationship with God, that you're acceptable to Him, that your sins are forgiven, that you have the destiny of heaven, that you belong to God, that you're an adopted son or daughter in His family. And it has nothing to do with your religious resume. That's the message of Philippians chapter 3. And if you haven't yet pulled out your notes, let me just encourage you to do so because I want to summarize this passage at the front and then we'll unpack it as the Holy Spirit teaches us here at New Hope Kailua, this vital truth that you will know joy when you know Jesus Christ and the way to have a right relationship with God through him. That you will know Christ Jesus and you will know the joy of a right relationship with God. What this passage teaches is that you will experience joy in your life when you know and have a personal faith and a personal relationship with Jesus. That's the key. That's the key. And so the Apostle Paul says this, "'Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord.'" We've seen this theme throughout this wonderful book. Jesus is the source of joy. He's the giver of joy. You take your joy from him. He's the mother load of joy. And you can rejoice in the Lord. And in this passage, he's going to say, "'Because we know that we have this right relationship.'" We have the righteousness of God through faith in Christ. But he starts off with that note of joy. What, he says this, further my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord, find your joy in Jesus, know the message of the, the true message of the gospel, it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard, it is a protection for you to keep focused on our true source of joy, and the true good news message, the true gospel message, now Paul was preaching in a, to a church, not unlike ours, that Uh, had false teaching, now our our church is committed to to, uh, the true teaching of the scriptures, but in every generation, false teaching can seep into the church. He's writing to these beloved brothers and sisters in Philippi, this church he had founded, and, and he was seeing the work of God growing them, but he was aware that there were other outside voices that spoke false teaching into that church. And in his day, the big false teaching was Judaizers. Judaizers were people that were raised in the Jewish faith under the old covenant where the way that you related to God was through the law. God had given the covenant through Moses and they related to God through the law and they faithfully followed the law. But when Jesus came, guess what? He brought in a new covenant and he superseded the old covenant and he did away with the law. And so now the the message of Jesus was, faith in Jesus apart from the works of the law. But the Judaizers wanted to have Jesus and the law. And uh, Paul had to address that false teaching, not just with the church in Philippi, but with many of the churches that he wrote to. So what does he do? He says, take your joy in the Lord. But then he warns them about the false teaching. He looked, and, and here's the point. We have to know Christ's message of good news. We need to know the true gospel. We need to protect and safe keep the true teaching of the Holy Spirit of, of what the good news of Jesus is. And that sometimes means addressing false teaching. And he does that. He says, watch out, beware for those. And he speaks very, <laughs> with some very harsh terms about this false teaching because people's eternal destiny is at stake. These people were re- teaching false teaching that could mislead people from their ultimate destiny of heaven if they believed the wrong thing. So he says, watch out for those dogs. And, and he wasn't talking about a nice little pet chihuahua. He was talking about mangy, scoundrel, vicious dogs that roamed the streets of cities that could bite you and and were filthy and and not a pretty picture. but these Judaizers who were teaching Jesus plus the works of the law, including circumcision. Paul says, no, beware, this is false teaching. He calls them evildoers. Well, because they're preaching a message that's a false message. It's a lie, and it will deceive people um, to the wrong uh, eternal destiny if they believe the wrong thing. And he calls them, uh, thirdly, mutilators of the flesh. Why? Because they were taking circumcision, which was a mark on the flesh, a mark on the body of the old covenant. That's what set Israel apart as God's covenant community. But there's now a new covenant. But beyond that mark of circumcision on the body, he's talking, it's sort of symbolic, it's representative of, The works of moral achievement or the works of the law. Because he's going to talk about the flesh and and representing striving to be right with God by the works of the law or moral achievement. And he's going to contrast that, we'll see. So here's the thing we need to learn. We need to protect and keep the true message of Jesus and not allow outside voices wherever they come from to seep into our lives, to seep into the church. As I thought about it this last week, I've been around the scene for a while. I have never heard a message on TV or from another preacher or heard about it in another church where someone was preaching, you need to believe in Jesus and be circumcised. I just haven't heard that. Maybe you have. Maybe it's out there. But that's probably not an issue of false teaching in our day. It's not a particularly attractive one to older men who want to come to Jesus, right? But there are false messages that do impact our lives. Here's a couple of them. I think one of the false messages, one of the false teachings in the world, and whether it comes to TV, through other groups, or whatever that can filter into our lives, is this false gospel that there are many paths to God. Have you ever heard that? Celebrities, people on TV, there are many paths to God. There are many world faiths. There's Buddhism, there's Hinduism, there's Christianity, there's all these different faiths. And, and as long as you have faith, you'll be acceptable to God. And, and there's many paths to God. It's false teaching. When we come to the scriptures, it says there is no other name under heaven by which people can be saved than Jesus. And Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. There aren't many paths to God. There's one path to God. And so we need to be careful. And uh, can I just say, probably many of us have family members, friends, friends. Um, colleagues at work, people in our community that may believe that. Yeah, it doesn't matter what you believe. As long as you believe, then, then you'll be right with God. That's false teaching. And we need to not allow that to filter into our lives, certainly not our church, but more than that, we need to help others see the truth about Jesus, the good news about Jesus, and we'll get there this morning. But that's one false teaching we need to guard against. Here's another one I think is prevalent in our community. You may have run across this one. I believe some of your family members, your friends, your colleagues will believe this false gospel. And the false gospel simply says this. um, The way you get to heaven, the way you have a right relationship with God is by being a good person. Statistics show in our culture that 95% of North Americans actually believe there is a God. They believe in God. But if you ask them, how do you know that you would be right with God, that you have a right relationship with God, how do you know that you would go to heaven if you leave this planet? They would say, well, just be a good person. That your good works would be better than your bad works. <laughs> that you would sort of pass the, the, the test, whether it's 51% or whatever. And you know what? That's a false teaching. That's a deception of the enemy. Because again, the scriptures say that we are saved... <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9, by grace, by God's sheer undeserved favor on our lives, by faith, by faith in Christ apart from any works. It's got nothing to do with the works that you do in life. You can't be a good enough person to get to heaven. And that's something that we need to make sure we understand and the people we love and are trying to reach for Jesus understand. It's got nothing to do with, with your works, And so, just as Paul, as he was taking joy and wants us to experience the joy of our true salvation, trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone, he says, be on guard for this false teaching that can seep into your church. And and, can I just say this? New Hope Kailua will always be committed to God's truth and the the Holy Spirit-inspired scriptures. But you know and I know of churches that started out that way that over time... What did they come to believe? All sorts of stuff that isn't grounded in the scriptures. So this is not, this is not a, a, uh, what um, an imaginary danger. The Apostle Paul spent a lot of time with the churches that he was discipling saying, stay on track with the, 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 the true gospel and, um, and guard against the false gospels that can infiltrate your own lives, your own church." So know the true gospel, and then he picks up on this theme, and, and just to summarize it, he says this, a religious resume doesn't give me a right relationship with God. A religious resume doesn't give me a right relationship with God, because he picks up on the Judaizers who were, ta- were teaching people that you need to trust Jesus and do the works of the law, including circumcision. And so, and he talks about the flesh being that... that um, that effort, that human achievement to live out the righteousness of the law, add that to Christ. And he says it's got nothing to do with your religious resume. That doesn't make you right with God. And the way he does it is he brags about his own religious resume, just kind of like Pastor Rick was bragging about his, right? That's exactly what he does. He has seven points on his religious resume, and you rack your religious resume up, you compare that to Paul's, you say. I, I mean, who can compare to the Apostle Paul? I mean... Kind of like you compare your life of good works to Mother Teresa, who who measures up. But his point is, it's worthless. In terms of your relationship with God, it's a pile of poop. Forgive the word, but that's what he says. That's what he says. Look look at it with me. He says, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If you have confidence in your relationship with God based on your religious resume, mine's more better than yours. That's what he says. Mine's more better than yours, but I have no confidence in that. He says this, If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, and again the flesh, the mark of circumcision, attaining righteousness through the law, I have more reason than you. He says, he says it's right there in the text, I'm more better, I have more. <laughs> and then he goes through seven points, and let's just notice them real quickly on his religious resume. The first few have to do with his family pedigree. He was born into the right family. He says circumcised on the eighth day not the fifth day not the tenth day the eighth day why because the law his parents were faithfully devoted to God through the law and the law said eighth day and he started out life with that in a devoted committed godly family circumcised that's a pretty impressive thing to start with the right race the nation of Israel he didn't choose his race but he was born into the right race the right tribe, the tribe of Benjamin. Now, what's significant about that? Why well, was a highly esteemed tribe? Benjamin was the second son of Rachel, and Rachel was Jacob's favorite wife. <laughs> you know, back twelve tribes, but Jacob, the forefather, had a favorite wife, and his family lineage went back to Rachel. Not only that, the first king of Israel came out of what? Benjamin. When God established kingship in his nation, the first king was a Benjamite. Not only that, but Jerusalem, the capital city of the whole nation, was in Benjamite territory. When it got established as the center of God's kingdom on earth, that was, that was Benjamin's land. I mean, in all of these ways, it was a highly favored family. And he's saying, it's a pretty impressive resume I got here, folks. Right race, right family favor, and he goes on, and he says, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, which is kind of like saying the cream of the crop. It doesn't get any better. It's kind of like um, I graduated at the first uh, percentage point of my class. Thank you, Jer. And so in all of these ways he had favor, he had prestige, but all of that he was born into. He didn't do anything to uh, achieve that, he was just born into it. Family pedigree, very impressive, none of us would rack up with the Apostle Paul. But then he goes on to talk about his own personal commitment and his own personal zeal. He says, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the most devoted, the most strict. They held God's law in the highest of terms. They did a bunch of wrong things with that, and Jesus had to deal with that. But <laughs> the Pharisees were the most committed to God's word. And uh, he chose to be a Pharisee. And not only that, he says, as for zeal, personal zeal, I persecuted the church. <laughs> I cared so much for what I understood at the time, true teaching, that when this Christianity thing, I was actually beating up on the Christians, throwing them in prison until I met Jesus on the road to Damascus and realized this wasn't heresy, this was reality, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he changed Paul's life by by the grace of God. But in terms of zeal, he had that much zeal. He didn't just sit home and not care about what was going on. He was vitally involved with what was going on. Misguided, misinformed at the start, but that zeal turned into being the greatest missionary for Jesus ever. And uh, yeah, he had zeal. And then he also says, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless, blameless, not perfect, no one did, but <laughs> exemplary, stellar. <laughs> and you look at the Apostle Paul, and what he's doing is he's bragging about his own religious resume, but catch this, then he says it's worthless. In terms of a right relationship with God, He says this, But whatever were gains on the positive side of my resume, I now consider loss for the sake of what? For the sake of Christ. For the sake of Christ. Because he's found in Christ the fullness of a right relationship with God. And he'll say in verse 8, we'll read it uh, when we get there, he uses the word garbage, or the NIV uses the word garbage. It's really a euphemism, you know, it's kind of an acceptable word, but, but it means excrement. It means poop kukai. And and he's saying, I don't think he's saying that these things aren't valuable. I I think it would be wonderful if one of my sons decided to be a missionary. I think it would be wonderful if one of my sons decided to devote himself to Jesus and and go and be trained for that uh, and be dedicated to God's word. Those are all good things. But his point is simply this. If you're using that, your religious resume, your religious credits to count on your relationship with God, it's worthless. It's of no value. And so Can we take away from this, um, by principle, what he's saying? We use the word saved. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And we're not saved by our ritual in life, by by the rituals that we live by in life. We're not saved by our race, by the good news of Jesus is open to all races now. And you don't have to be born into a particular tribe. We're not saved by our family. (laughs) He was born into a favored family. The wonderful thing is, whatever your family background is, you can start a new legacy of faith in your family. You may have been raised with Christian parents. You may not have, but you have the opportunity to make decisions so that that godly legacy starts being built in your family. And that's a beautiful thing. Paul would not denigrate that at all. In fact, he confirms it with Timothy, the godly family that he had. His point in this passage is, don't count on that stuff your right relationship with God we're not saved by prestige whatever that looks like in our life we're not saved by commitment or zeal or moral achievement we're not saved by any of that so if the apostle Paul with his religious resume says your right relationship with God the joy of that is not based on your resume by your self achievements what is it based on well he's going to tell us in verse 8 and following and let me again summarize it he says this It's a personal faith in Christ. It's knowing Christ. It's that personal, relational knowledge of Christ, faith in Christ, gives me that right relationship with God. That's the key, and that alone is the key. So he says in verse 8, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of what? The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake... I have lost all things. I consider them, and there's the word, garbage, excrement, a pile of manure. That's what they are in terms of eternal salvation. He says this, that I may gain Christ, I may be found in him, note this, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, from obeying the the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Faith, period. And then he says this. He talks about the kind of faith he's entered into with Christ. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Participation in his sufferings. Catch that. Okay? He says, I want to know Christ, his work within me, his power. But isn't it true that very often, and and we love miracles, and God does miracles and praise God for his resurrection power miracles, but he talks about the resurrection power in suffering. (laughs) In suffering. And uh, do you know how often you see the power of God at work in a person's life who's suffering, who may not be healed, who may not be delivered, but the joy, the peace, the love, the presence of the Holy Spirit is powerful. In that. And he's saying, I'm uniting with Jesus in his suffering and his resurrection power. And that's what he says. I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow, and when he says somehow, it isn't like, oh, I hope it happens. It's, it's the wonder of, this is amazing. When I identify with Christ, that's my future. And he says it with certainty, With resurrection. Uh, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. The wonder of my destiny belonging united with Jesus. Not that I have already obtained all of this. Or have already arrived at my goal. He's in a process. He's got a living, personal relational faith but it's growing and he's laying hold of that which with Christ has laid hold of him but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me what's he saying here he's saying that the way to have joy in your heart is to know the the, the, the gospel message Christ's good news message that we're made right with God, we have a right relationship with God, we're acceptable to Him, we get adopted as a son and a daughter, we have the gift of eternal life through our faith in Jesus, apart from any works. It's that personal living faith. And when you know that, it produces joy in your life. Let me give you a, uh, a picture. It's actually out of Isaiah. I honestly don't know whether Paul had this because when he uses the word that he uses that, that speaks of excrement, he may have had in mind what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 61 and Isaiah 64 because you know what Isaiah says? He says this. All of our moral achievements, all of our righteousness of the law, all of our good works to God are like soiled clothes, filthy rags. By the way, some of the translations translate that word filth. Um, you take up your religious resume and you may, mine may not as, be as good as Mother Teresa. Mine may, it doesn't matter what your religious resume is. When it comes to uh, your relationship with God, your eternal relationship with God being saved, it's like filthy clothes, soiled rags. But what God does in Isaiah chapter 61, he provides what Isaiah calls garments of salvation. <laughs> He takes off those soiled rags and he provides a garment of salvation, a robe of righteousness. And he provides everything that you need so that when you put on that robe of righteousness, when you receive that robe of righteousness through faith in Christ, God looks at you and he sees the righteousness of Christ in your life. And you're acceptable to him and you're his son, you're his daughter based on what Christ has done for you and your faith in him. So it's a wonderful thing that that people like us can can be clothed with a robe of righteousness, but it's faith in Christ. And he says, not that comes from the achievements of the law, but simply by faith in Christ. That kind of faith he speaks about in in several, and these aren't in your notes, but can I just accentuate a couple things? When he says, this is how you know you have a right relationship with God, that you're acceptable to him, the gift of eternal life, forgiveness, this is how you know it, it's your personal faith in Christ. And that's the first thing, it's personal It's personal. Did you notice he says, I gain Christ, my righteousness, my Lord? There's something deeply personal. He knows very much his race background, his family background, but it's his personal decision that led him into that place of a right relationship with God. And many of us, well, we might have the right friends, we might have the right family, we might even have the right spouse, but it comes down to your personal decision. Nobody can make that decision for you. And it comes down to your personal decision to put your trust in Jesus and receive the robe of righteousness from him. It's a deeply personal faith that Paul came to. And his whole world got reoriented when he met Jesus personally on the road to Damascus. It's a personal faith. You need to make a personal decision based on what Jesus has done for you. Secondly, it's deeply relational. It's a faith, but it's relational. When he says that I might know Christ... He uses a word that speaks about a relational knowledge. In fact, the equivalent Old Testament word is used of the most intimate, the closest personal relationship. It's used of marriage. When it speaks about Adam knowing Eve, that's the Hebrew equivalent word, Adam knew Eve, and guess what? She got pregnant and had a baby. <laughs> it's a deeply relational knowledge. It's, it's marriage. It, it, it involves sexual intercourse and a child that that closeness and depth and intimacy of a a relationship and so for example if I can illustrate it this way there's a factual knowledge and there's a relational knowledge Um, the IRS the Internal Revenue Service they have a lot of factual knowledge about my wife Martha I mean they know a lot of things about her a lot of facts about her they know her birth date. they know how old she is (laughs) they know how much money she makes they know her social security number they know how many dependents that she has well at least that doesn't show up on the tax form anymore they're but they have all of this factual knowledge about Martha do they know Martha yeah they know Martha they know a lot of facts about her I have a whole different realm of knowledge about Martha I know all of those things too that the IRS but We live in the same house. We're married together. And I don't have to go anywhere. We share the same bedroom together. We share life at its deepest uh, experience together. I have a relationship. I know Martha. And that's the word he's using. When you know Christ, it's a relational knowledge. You put your trust in him. And yes, it's a growing relational knowledge. And it's a life changing. That's the the third thing I would say. It's it's deeply personal, it's um, relational. And and we rightly say, being a follower of Jesus, that's why Jesus says, follow me. He doesn't just say, accept the facts about me. you got to know the facts. He says, follow me, live in relationship with me. That's the kind of trust it is that looks to him daily um, for who he is, for his presence in your life, for his leading in your life, for your needs being shared with him. It's a a daily relationship. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. That's what Christ calls us to. Follow me, walk with me, experience life with me. So it's, it's based on the, the right facts of who Jesus is, but it goes way beyond doctrinal truth. <laughs> it goes way beyond um, biblical truth to a personal relationship. And it's transformational. It's life-changing. It's like this knowledge of Christ. Paul says, I know him, but I, I, I want to know him even more. And one of the ways he recognizes, and none of us want to pray suffering in our lives, but when Paul says... The resurrection power of Jesus in my life, it's combined with uniting with Christ in his suffering and his resurrection. And I thought about that this last week. None of us like very much suffering. But think about the Apostles Paul's life. I mean, his, you know, his, his um, lifestyle... He'd go into a town, preach Jesus. People would th- throw stones at him, beat him up. He'd get kicked out of that town. He'd go to the next town. He'd preach Jesus. They'd uh, throw him in prison, beat him, and God would do a miracle like he did in Philippi, break him out of jail. But everywhere he went, he got beat up physically and rejected and um, a lot of suffering. And, and yet he knew the joy of the Lord. He knew the peace of the Lord. He knew the blessing of the Lord. He knew the praise of the Lord. He had the resurrection power of Jesus at work in his life through suffering. And yes, did he do miracles? Absolutely. Um, But he also knew this transforming, interchanging, life-changing power of the presence of Christ in his life through the Holy Spirit through this personal faith he had. And so this faith that he calls us to, that's the joy of a right relationship with God. And Paul teaches us that and he models that for us too. Now, what can I encourage you to take away from this morning? Two things. We're going to celebrate communion together before we leave. But can I encourage you to do two things? Number one, trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. You may have come back, come from a background that sort of teaches, yep, believe in Jesus, but you're saved by your works. Uh, No, Paul makes it very clear. It's knowing Christ. It's that personal faith in Christ. And when we come to the table, Jesus teaches us that. It's our... Faith in what he did on the cross, his body broken, his blood shed, the sacrifice he made, that's the fullness of all we need. We can't add anything to it, and we shouldn't try to add anything to it. Now, is it good to serve him, to be devoted, to love his word? Absolutely. But that's all that flows out of a grateful heart of love to Jesus. It isn't what makes us right with God. And so when Jesus said, come back to the cross and remember all that I have done for you, I'm your sufficiency in essence, is what he says. And Paul says, just know Christ. Put your faith in him. Don't try and add anything to that. So on a personal level, put your full trust in Jesus for your right relationship with God. And secondly, would you consider prayerfully telling somebody about that? (laughs) Would you prayerfully consider telling someone this week, ask God, would there be someone I could just share that good news with? Because all of us have friends, family members, colleagues that are believing the wrong stuff and um, have, in a sense, unwittingly put their trust in something that's false. Because if they're trusting in their good works and being a good person, they're trusting in something that's false. And so, as the Apostle Paul says to Philippi, and he says to New Hope Kailua, make sure you got the right message, (laughs) and make sure you help others understand the right message. And um, what a blessing to be able to share with, with others and just say, you know what, it's not about, and maybe you can share your own story. Uh, It's not about your works or trying to be a good person or being a good dad or being an ethical businessman. Those are all good things. But that won't get you to heaven. And um, what you need to do is, is come to the place where you are trusting fully in what Christ has done for you. And the joy of knowing that I don't have to add to that, that Jesus is my full sufficiency and I can walk with him daily, grateful for all that he's done for me, grateful for the forgiveness of my sins, grateful for the love and the sacrifice that he has made to bring me to this place of joy. Um, That would be a wonderful takeaway. So we're going to conclude this morning by coming to this central um, memorial. It's a ritual, a good ritual. It's actually what Jesus called us to do and to do it regularly. So uh, the worship team is going to come and lead us in a worship, and I'm going to invite you to come. And as you take these elements, I wonder if you would take that picture upon yourself that because of what Jesus has done, he is clothing you as you put your personal trust in him. He is clothing you with garments of salvation, (laughs) with the robe of righteousness, through faith in Christ, and Christ alone. So let's celebrate communion together. Oh, let me just say again, as you come forward, feel free to take the elements. Just take them back to your seat and then uh, worship together with the worship team and then in a few moments I'll come and lead us in a prayer and we'll take the elements together as one church family.